0: Hey everyone and welcome to Screams After Midnight, I am Peter and this is a new solo sort of spin-off of Screams After Midnight, which is a horror movie podcast. Uh, I am, for some reason, have this crazy idea to cover some films we don't get to cover on the main show, uh, specifically focusing on films that are released through Shudder, Shudder exclusives, if you will, and sort of tackling them, hopefully one per week and giving some coverage to some more movies, and it's so just to watch more movies, if nothing else. Uh, so the first episode here is going to be about the cleansing hour. This is the one that just came out, uh, I think, early October, this hit Shudder. Um, I'll typically focus on the newer ones, but they don't have a new movie out every week, so I should be able to go back and, you know, cover some of the ones that have slipped through the cracks, and some of the older stuff that may be more interesting. But I'll start spoiler-free, as I often do, and I'll give you warning before we get to spoilers. The premise of the cleansing hour is that there's a internet stream this this web show of a priest who's not really a priest he's actually kind of just a you know you know he's he's like a a charlatan he's an actor kind of uh, who pretends to do exorcisms uh, live on the internet Uh, somehow they fit their weekly time slot you know no one seems to question that in the movie when I, I wouldn't think exorcisms would work to a schedule but uh, that's kind of what this movie's about. Is obviously, of course, that the main exorcism of the movie is going to turn into a real thing. Is that we're introduced at the start to their usual fake production, where they've got, like, special effects, they've got things flying off shelves, but it's all just special effects, it's all, they've got a little crew doing things, and uh, but then, of course, the a little bit of character building before we get to the main part of the movie, where uh, the girlfriend... Of one of the main characters uh, ends up being the actor who's going to be possessed in the in the possession scenario because the actor who was supposed to be there didn't show up so she's kind of a last-minute swap in uh, and she's one of her main three characters we have max who is the 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 fake priest and we have drew who is the producer of the show and sort of does all the, the you know the, controls the stream uh, all the technical aspects kind of runs the show and then you have Lane, who's his fiancée, uh, his girlfriend, who ends up being the one in the chair who is possessed for real once the main plot gets going. Um, so that's the basic setup of the movie. Obviously, I'm starting spoiler-free here. Uh, this is a really... This is a far more interesting movie to talk about than I would have ever thought it was going to be, based on the... Just based on like the, the, the premise, based on the, the trailer that I saw a few months ago. It goes places that you don't really see it getting there. In the last 10 minutes, you would never predict based on everything that happens beforehand. But that's not necessarily a bad thing in this case. I think this movie is very watchable, and I would say that I probably overall quite enjoyed it. Despite the fact that there's a lot of things to nitpick at, there's a lot of things to objectively say that is kind of weak or that's kind of not as... uh, you know, it's it's not as sound as like a really, you know, tight film where everything kind of fires in all cylinders and plays off of each other. There's a lot of things in this, there's a lot of elements to sort of say, you know, there's, so there's some tropes here, there's some generic elements there, there's uh, some dodgy moments there. But what it does have is a premise that's actually kind of fun, right? Because essentially one of the elements once the show gets going is that we have... I compared it when I was watching it to the Truman Show, that you have like viewers who are we kind of cut to every so often for reactions, and uh, and because it's you know a, you know a modern movie, there's a live chat and they're all kind of you know chatting in the, the, you, know, the you know if you're ever on Twitch or anything like that, the, the chat can up the site. like that's kind of there. You don't really get a chance to read it properly. I'm sure you could pause it and read all the things that are going, but it it looks like a realistic chat. But cutting to them for the reactions is a really fun element the idea that the demon who's in the the, the the girl doesn't, you know, if you stop the stream, if you cut the cameras, I'll kill you all, I'll kill the girl, all that kind of thing. That kind of setup, where they're kind of forced to do all this live in front of an audience, uh, is actually fun. It's something where it maybe sound a bit gimmicky, because how many times have we seen the premise of a movie where, oh, there's an exorcist who does a lot of fake things, you know, The Last Exorcism's a, you know, it's actually 10 years old now, but a relatively recent example of he does fake exorcisms, but then this one actually might be real and, you know, spooky. Uh, tons of movies have had that kind of that twist on their, their premise, but this is a little bit interesting uh, because of that. I think the big strength, though, beyond just the premise being potentially fun, is that, one, the three leads are all pretty solid. Uh, and that's saying something because Drew, uh, played by Kyle Gallner. He was in the Nightmare on Elm Street remake and he was on Smallville of All Things once upon a time. And I wouldn't necessarily associate him with good things. Not that he himself was ever terrible per se, but uh but you know, the three leads I think all deliver pretty solid enough performances. There is the the problem of the possessed girl when they dub her voice when the demon's speaking through her. It's very generic. It's the, you know, it's exactly the sort of voice you expect, you know, something from the Exorcist or maybe a little bit of Evil Dead or something like that, it's a little bit kinda by the numbers. The other thing it's got going for other than along just how wacky and insane it gets at the end, is probably the deaths, there's obviously various other people around the uh, the set and there's a number of deaths, and to be honest there's only three or four of them, but they're all very memorable, they're, they're all very distinct and do something kind of interesting or over the top. Um, for every fault that it has, I never really found myself bored or not having fun with what it was doing. Uh, the weakest element, by far, is probably the actual the possession element. I, I guess uh, not so much what results from it, but more just the 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 core, like try to find the right you know exorcism to say to to defeat the beast or all, all the, the stuff that relates to like finding out its name or uh, all all of the mechanical things to do with the possession itself are kind of just whatever and sometimes you just have to sort of roll with it and just go with the leaps in logic and just get get through it but uh, everything that the demon makes them do or the situations it puts them in where it encourages the live audience to like vote on something when the live audience might not necessarily realize that this is more real than usual that said they seem to think it's real all the time but they're not, like, worried about anything happening because nothing bad's ever happened. And then, of course, bad stuff really starts happening and they're all, like, shocked and whatever. Uh, So, yeah, my my general spoiler-free thoughts is that I think it's actually worth watching. There's a lot of things to forgive and there's a lot of things that stop from being an actual great movie or, or dare I say, even good movie. It, it's, it's, it rides this fine line of being just entertaining enough the whole time, and it has a couple of really memorable moments, the ending's very memorable, and very out there. But I wouldn't say it's, like, good, good. It's... <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is, it's perfect for a streaming movie, because it's it's actually far more memorable than most movies that go straight to streaming, and it's funny that this is the first movie I'm doing with this new Shudder review series, is because I, I kind of expect in a lot of them to be kind of dull and just be okay, but nothing... Particularly exciting, whereas this does have excitement. This does have a, a lot of things in it that are, you know, they'll stick with you. They'll stick with you for a while. Uh, so I'll I'll get into it here, but I, when I jump into spoilers, but um, so not good, but pretty entertaining enough. And it, it, if you, I think there's maybe a lull as you're getting towards the end of the second act, sort of start of act three, where it's kind of trying to wrap up its plot in the exact way as you'd expect it to, and that part's probably the lowest point of the whole movie, but it's worth getting through it, because those last 10 minutes are something else. Uh, I I was laughing hysterically, and that sounds like it's all, almost a fault, and it kind of is, but I wasn't necessarily laughing at it, per se, I was kind of laughing more at the, them having the balls to, to just like go in this direction in the last 10 minutes. So, I would say that. Uh, so, I think I'll jump into spoilers here, uh, at this juncture. Um I will take this time though to promote patreon.com slash TV if you want to support the channel and keep all the content coming. Um, but of course if you want to support us for free, then hit the like button. Liking is super important and you know commenting down below. A, uh, what you thought of the movie if you've watched it, but also if you like the idea of me reviewing more of these shudder reviews, uh, these shudder reviews, these shudder movies uh on my own in addition to the regular stream schedule. And especially with Tim going on Paternity Leave early next year. This will be something else for me to kind of keep consistently running alongside. So, um, but yeah, so full spoilers for the cleansing hour, because we have to talk about some of the crazy elements uh, in here. Uh, You know, the opening chunk of the movie, you know, we get, the movie starts off with the very fake, like, exorcism that they do. You know, we, and it takes itself very seriously to the point where I was almost worried in the first, like, few minutes that the way it was handling this possession, it felt like a really bad movie that I've seen elsewhere. Like, I've seen these ex- techniques, these, these editing styles, this type of music, this type of acting, as he's, you know, yelling at the possessed person and throwing holy water at them, and it just it all feels super, super generic, but once it ends and he turns to the camera and sort of says goodbye to the audience... And you see that he's got like a merchandise shop, where he's got Vatican approved, like, merch. <laughs> so that'll help keep your house safe and things like that. I, like, once it got to that stuff, and then it becomes its real tone. Once we actually get to see the real, like, characters and how they actually interact, it gets a lot better. It's like, oh, okay, okay, so that was intentionally being like a really crappy movie exorcism, because that's what they were kind of selling to the audience. And then it becomes the real characters, their real interactions. Once it gets to that point, like, it you know it functions well enough. Uh, we get a good sense of these characters. It you know the the movie script is relatively decent. I would say it, it does it does enough to establish the three main characters, their relationships. It does go in some places that are painfully obvious. That I w- I would say the final thing the demon wants them to reveal because the one of the big facets of the. Of the demon is that it wants them to confess stuff, you know, which starts with, you know, being honest about what the show is and that it's all being fake up at this point, but it keeps digging deeper for more things from their past. And the the, the final thing it wants them to confess is so painfully obvious. And I don't want to say lazy, but it is kind of the, the lazy option of like the most drama, I suppose. Um, but it sets up the, the three characters pretty well. Uh, in that Max is kind of a a showbiz egotistical maniac who uh loves bragging about sleeping with girls and um he's obsessed with getting the blue check mark on social media. Uh, he you know he's just you know he's just you know, kind of what's the word for it? I don't know he's just this this asshole who wants to get a bigger TV time and just keep going. He's he's a complete diva uh, in that sense. Um, and then you've got Drew who actually cares about the show puts in all the work, uh, his fiance thinks he's been taken advantage of, does not like Max at all, and it sets up these characters, it also sets up, like, uh, Drew's dad is from, like, a tech company, and he sends him essentially Google Glasses, or Google Glass, whatever that was called, like a modern version of these, like, computer glasses, uh, which is very important for the plot later on, because he's able to use that to look up demon, uh, exorcisms when no one's paying attention. <laughs> so, very important. Uh, but you know, we we have uh this all set up and once we get into it, the person who was supposed to come in, which was a it was a drag queen? Was it was it Denise Van Cock? It was something like that. It was something Van Cock. It was a really over the top name. But they don't make it. They don't make it and as a result, Lane like Drew begs Lane to sub in. She was in drama class, she can sub in and go from go from there and None of them are really happy about it, but they're, they're willing to go along with it. Uh, Max just kind of saunters in the last few minutes and, uh, th- you know, they get going. Um, The key things to talk about here, once everything's set up, is we have the various characters. The ones who die are kind of varying levels of, you know, notable. Uh, the first guy who is killed is kind of like one of the you know, the set hands. Um, he... I think he's in charge of special effects, but he has little, like tattoos on his arms of flames, and the demon like basically turns him into real flames. Now, now that sounds like he's just combusting, like he's just you know bursting into flames, and that does technically still just happen. But before the flames actually start, there's actually kind of like a like a bubbling effect to the to the tattoo itself, which I thought was a nice transition. Uh, so it was a really over the top death, and that was really fun. Uh, the other one is the his niece, I think it is, is like this like college girl who's studying film at university, and she's kind of snooty and doesn't really care, but she's really condescending because she's learned all the correct terms and is pointing things out. But she actually gets a really simple death, but it was it was memorable enough though because it was a little Jesus statue that just flies into the back of her head. And, again, super notable. By far the most notable one, though, the one that will stick with you the most, is the sound guy, the boom operator. So he's feeling out of it because he, like, sees something demonic before everything starts happening and he starts throwing up and and whatever. Uh, He's actually kind of just hiding in the club cupboard for, like, half the movie, but when he comes back out, he sees these, like, uh, devil dogs, I I, I guess I'll call them. Uh, These demonic-looking little creatures, uh, rabid little things. And he's the only one who can see them. They all believe that. They're, I mean, at this point in the movie, they've seen so much shit that they believe that if he's seeing something. That they're not even going to doubt him. But essentially what happens is that these dogs come and start grabbing at his legs and then his arms and he pulls out his little knife and he starts slashing at them. But it's effectively what he's doing and what it looks like to everyone else and what we see is he's slashing. And it cuts between for us as well. We, we see shots where we can see the CGI dogs and then we see shots where we can just see what he's doing on his own. And he effectively slashes at his own leg and then his own wrist and it's really dark and then eventually one of them like climbs up to the side of his neck and he essentially slits his own throat. It's a really brutal visceral death and all of the deaths come off, I'd say very effectively. I I don't think any of them felt underwhelming. They all kind of left a bit of an oomph either because they were surprising or they were drawn out or because they were creative. And again, it's only like three or four deaths. I mean, it's those three really, uh, ultimately. But. Uh, well, barring a, another group of deaths, which we'll get to, but uh, then they all they all come off as feeling unique, uh, a uh, unique enough anyway to the point where I enjoyed all of them. None of them left me feeling like oh that was just kind of a whimper. They they all had something, uh, that was darkly amusing or or a genuine kind of oh that was actually really dark. Okay, so you know, props there. I mean, I, I think that's good. And then the the other the other big thing. As, as the movie's going on, of course, as the, the view count is going up. And Max has to start confessing things. And the first thing he has to confess is that the show is basically fake. All of the merch is fake. And it kind of... The demon then gives gives him a series of things. Like The demon says, Okay, let's let the fans decide how you can try and save Lane. And at this point, the fans haven't seen anyone be murdered yet. So... They're kind of still taking it lightly, and they're not realizing it's serious. So they they put in some silly things like hashtags, you know, take off your clothes, hashtag, do this, do that, whatever. And so a lot of them are like stuff like for him to like do with the girl, like you know, you know, F effort, the demon out of her, and things like that. And obviously, Drew standing there is isn't going to like let them pick that option. So he says, "Okay, you have to take off your clothes," but the demon kind of makes it more interesting by the yeah, the lighting rig kind of falls down around them and, like, glass, glass, glass smashy, smashes and lands on the floor. So, once he's naked, he then has to do the Hokey Pokey. <laughs> but there's, like, glass on the floor that he has to step on. Uh, the lighting rig has, like, a big fan on it that's whirling away, so when he puts his hand out for the Hokey Pokey, his hand gets hurt and cut. Uh, so, it's this really weird, torturous, like, Hokey Pokey scene Well, naked. It's a, It's a really... Again, it's a really over the top thing where you kind of almost appreciate just like how much they're adding to it <laughs> as time goes on. Um, well, it's never necessarily feeling like a you know I would never say the movie feels creepy. Um, and, and maybe the possessed character you know feeling a bit generic is maybe why that is. But I can't deny that I was mostly having fun throughout this stuff. And and as this goes on, the the characters you know react accordingly. The the, the live audience starts to take it a bit more seriously. Um there is some like the humour in the movie's kind of hit and miss. Like there's there's a couple of moments like after the uh the sound guy like kills himself and it's this proper violent death, everyone is just awestruck by what they've just seen, both like in the studio and like the live audience that are you know darted around the world. And the the possessed, you know, Lane just turns to the camera and says, Don't do drugs, kids. And I'm not gonna lie, it got a little chuckle out of me. It was kind of funny. Um however, like Likewise, there's a scene when he's naked. Uh, this guy tries to come up and like chat to the the, t- the two young women who were flirting with him. In fact, one of them even had sex with him. They went, you know, they went home with Max uh, earlier on in the movie. Uh, but this guy tries to come up and talk to them at the bar as they're watching on their phone. And he, he gets out like half a sentence and notices like naked Max on the phone and just sort of backs away in fear. Um, and that that was kind of a weird joke to me. Like, I I, I think uh, when I was watching this live on stream, I said that. This this kind of feels like when Tommy Wiseau wrote his own character in the room, and he wrote his character being the best of everything. <laughs> um, not that I think the actor here wrote the the, the, the script, but it they came off as this weird thing where the the movie's presenting Max as this uh, at least by these two characters as this some sort of like sex god, and it was kind of c- kind of weird. But I mean, it, it does I guess play in thematically a little bit later on with where it goes. Uh, the other stuff Max has to confess as the movie goes on there's hints throughout that play into the, the childhood relationship between Max and Drew and there's hints of something bad happening when they were at uh, like a catholic school when they were kids this evil uh, teacher they had and she's especially evil and this is kind of one of these things where they almost went too far with this to the point where I'm like I don't understand the, con- the context where we get flashbacks and I don't know how real these are but we get flashbacks where she's straight up making them kneel on like bottle caps so their their, their kneecaps are being cut and like hitting them in the back of the leg to say their prayers and she really hates both of them. And, but there's never any other kids in the classroom, it's always just those two. And the big reveal is that eventually Max pushes her and she lands on a pencil and the pencil stabs her in the the neck or whatever and she she, she dies. But what she's doing when he does this, what what motivates him to push her, and it's not an intentional murder because he you know he didn't put the pencil there, uh, it was kind of a, that was an accidental part. But what motivates him to push her is that she's literally smashing Drew's head off the the desk, like just banging it, you know, just constantly. And I'm like, where's this woman? Like, what is this backstory? It just it feels kind of just really bizarrely out of tone with these characters and like what their life is like, uh. I mean, the one thing it's really trying to establish is that Max always kind of looked out for Drew. The, despite the fact that he's so different than Drew and that there's another big thing to reveal that's, you know, shaky for their, their friendship, that he's always kind of like looked out for him and been there for him and stuck up for him. Um, that said, there is a nice little visual at the start of the movie when the two uh, women come to the, the bar or come to like the, the table in the bar where Max is sitting. Uh, this is like after the opening scene. Uh, he's at a karaoke bar, and when he's sitting there, like, these two, two, two women recognize him as the, you know, the famous, you know, internet exorcist, and they come over and sit next to him, and he sort of invites them down, and he, like, you know, he says, everyone move up, and he sort of bumps everyone along, and it's, like, various members of the crew, but right at the end, Drew's the one that's at the end, other end of the, uh, you know, the booth, and he actually gets pushed off the, the chair, and it, you know, it plays a, as a little jokey moment where it's like, no, let let the ladies in, like get whoever's on the other end, get rid of them. But it is notably Drew. It's notably Drew gets cast aside for what Max wants, which again thematically ties into like their characters and what they're they're doing throughout the whole movie. Um, the final thing they have to reveal though, uh, which comes again comes after a lot of other stuff. You know, Drew's like figured out the name of the demon at this point, which I wasn't entirely clear how he did that. Uh, the the sound guy described what he saw, what he, what the demon looked like, and it, I guess that's where he got it from. I know it was never too clear to me exactly how he figured it out, though. But he's trying to look it up, and like at this point, the demon's making all the cables grab him, and it's a little, it's a little bit in the goofy side, a little bit in the goofy side. But the big thing that they're then going to and if I actually I should mention as well here that there's a sort of big bluff moment where Drew kind of stands up for himself and says that if he doesn't let because max ultimately confesses all this stuff about murdering the nun <laughs> um well he's got a noose around his neck and then he's hanging from the noose uh Lane's screaming in pain Drew says look you need us because you want the audience at this point they're at 12 million viewers like they usually get a couple hundred thousand they're at 12 million like you need the audience so you know what let them both go or I'm gonna c- kill the the, the feet i'm going to cut the cameras um which is it is funny that this is even something he can th- threaten. One of the weird things throughout the movie is that it's clear that the demon can take control of the tech whenever he wants Uh, because there's a moment where when Max has to go naked, Drew says to him, don't worry, I'll keep a close up, no one will see anything. And all I could think was, but the demon's already caused glitches and done weird things to the tech. Like, surely the demon can just force whatever shot the demon wants. So, likewise, I don't really understand why someone can threaten to cut the feed when... I don't know. It just—it's all kind of weird. There's also like a really Hollywood race against the the clock moment where the signals cutting. It's like, it's like the, the signals dropping. He's talking about packets being lost, and he has to run to this room with all these Ethernet ports, and he's like juggling cables around. And I'm not entirely sure if any of this is remotely like believable. It all felt like complete bullshit to me. As someone who's you know uses uses one Ethernet port. <laughs> I mean this is industrial levels of cables they've got here, so I'm not sure if there's anything more to it, but it all felt like complete Hollywood nonsense to me. But anyway, so the big the big thing after he's like done all this to try and save both of them, the big reveal that's coming, and it's so painfully obvious where this is going. Um, is that Max and Lane had had sex together before that she met Drew. This is the big thing, is this was before they met each other, so it wasn't that she cheated on him, this was something that happened before. And they just chose to never tell him because they didn't want to, you know, hurt his feelings, make it feel weird. Uh, Max says, You look so happy. And you kind of believe him when he says that. You believe that, it, you know, you, you seem genuinely happy. And I didn't want to ruin it. So, um, but earlier on in the film, I, when Max is bragging about having sex with the girl from the bar, he, you know, he reveals that he's got footage of it and he just shows it to Drew, who, who doesn't want to see it. Drew's trying to look away. He's like, No, yeah, great. Like, put it away. Uh, so Max comes off as a even though he's very charismatic he's kind of a, a an unlikable dick from the get-go because he's like he's recording his sexual escapades and just showing them to people with, without even being prompted uh so he's he's very you know morally dubious at the best of times early on um which is you know again probably a big thing about why he's, he's being punished why the demons really tested him i mean the real reason why the demons tested him is because well, you know what, you've been pretending to be doing exorcisms for so long, you know. You you play with the de- you know the, the devil or the bull long enough, you'll eventually get the horns. Uh as the demon puts it. But that, that this is kind of one of these things where i it, it, it just this just felt like a trope more than it did feel anything else. And, you know, watching Drew kind of be lit up from the cables and he just starts beating the shit out of Max because he's so angry about what's happening. Um he does keep his cool enough, though, he says to Max, you know, press the button on the Google Glass thing so I can see the, the the text, and then he starts chanting, or, not chanting, but starts, you know, uh, saying it out, and it's, and this stuff is fine, this is, this is what I was saying earlier when I said that the end of Act 2, start of Act 3 kind of section, where they're kind of, like, solving the, the exorcism by getting the, the right text is just kind of whatever, um, and it feels like they actually won. You know, there's a lot of struggling here. There's, like, flying into the walls, and, it, you know, the demon cuts off the, 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 the screens with the, you know, the teleprompter stuff, and, but then the Google Glassy still works, so he tries to use that, and it, it, they keep sort of bouncing around, and it's like a little action sequence. is fine, uh, but it's nothing spectacular. It's one of the more generic elements of the movie. However, afterwards, so, so the demon's gone, right? Anon, I think the name of the demon was supposed to be, is gone and Lane's okay. Drew's hugging her, and she's apologizing, she's begging for forgiveness, and Max tries to sort of, like, awkwardly stand off to the side and, like, says, I don't know what to say, Drew, and he's like, just shut up, I don't want to hear anything. We're still alive, go and talk to the audience. Okay, and it's fine. And I, I like that he uses the word groupies, because earlier on in the film, Max referred to uh, the girl as a groupie, and he was excited that he has groupies. So, use this line here at the end, when when Drew says, Go speak to your groupies. You know, really comes off with a nice... It feels like a nice payoff, as much as I don't necessarily love the reveal about Lane and Max. Uh, I do like the, the the subtle touch there of kind of, like, everything... The way Max talks about the people he has sex with and the idea that Lane is one of these people. Um, Like, you know, he was fine being Max's friend and putting up with his shit, but the idea that his fiance is someone that he spoke about this way, that he treated this way, uh, it's just sort of, like, there... Is an underlying thing at the end. He he doesn't go into it too much, and that's you know it's, it's better. Like I, it could have been worse. It definitely could have been much worse. So I, I guess some minor props there for raining in a little bit. But here's where things really get weird, though. So the guy who burned alive earlier on, he kind of stands up. It's kind of it's almost like the end of saw, where, <laughs> where he stands up, and then he sort of starts to like. Like, he's got this really demonic face, there's, like, glowing, like, orange light coming from his eyes, and he's, like, speaking with a demonic voice. And they're all freaking out, they're scared, and it it turns out he's like, yeah, I'm not a non, right? I wrote that guide. And then it flashes back to the name of the guide, and it's the Devil's Guide to Demons, or the Devil's Handbook. So the idea being that this demon's been Satan himself the entire time. And then the guy's, like, skin starts to, like, rip away. It's actually very similar to an effect that was on uh, Lovecraft Country. Uh, during season one of that, but all the skin starts to peel off and just fall away, and eventually we have the big horns. We have this sort of, you know, very rock-like, but with like orange bits of light coming through the cracks, kind of molten-looking demon. But the uh, very generic sort of devil voice, I will say, the sort of gravelly. Uh, it sounds like something to be in Doom or something like that. Uh, but this is what I'm talking about. You get to this part, you're like, what the hell? Satan just got up off the floor. And is now talking to them, and Satan's, like, broadcasting on TV. And then he walks over to the camera and just stares into the camera, which is still live, and there's now, like, 25 million people watching this thing. And they're all just watching, like, this Satan looking in, this big devil, you know, hellhorn beast looking into the camera. And I will say, the the, the whole camera, the, the live feed part of it, again, there's some weird just kind of things you have to forgive at certain points. At some point, uh, news networks start picking up on it, so they get more viewers because, like, it's been broadcast on the news. So, like, there's, for example, there's a, there's a kitchen where some kitchen staff are watching it, and they're watching it through, through a news broadcast. And what was really weird is that the moment where they cut the cameras and when they were bluffing with the demon, and the cameras are off for, like, a couple of minutes, uh, they have, like, a standby screen that just says, hey, having technical difficulties, right? It's just a screen. But for some reason... That's still being shown on the news. You would think in the news, if they are just showing a live feed of this without cutting away, which is kind of hard to buy in the first place, but the fact that they wouldn't cut away to a presenter when it's just a standby screen (laughs) is kind of absurd Uh, because you literally see a shot of them looking at the TV and it's just, it's got the news like border as if it's been rebroadcast through the news, but it's just staying on the standby screen. No, they would cut, this is dead air, they would cut to someone. Even if you believe they would even broadcast it unedited in the first place, but anyway, <laughs> um, so this is the big ending. So when I talk about this getting crazy, it does get crazy. It the uh, basically everyone watching the TV or watching the live feed, like their eyes like sort of light up. And I've not mentioned every sort of person we're seeing here. There's a, there's a whole different host of them. I'll, I'll mention one or two specific ones because I think they're important. But the kitchen staff turn around and use their their meat cleaver. Uh, to kill someone, another one of the kitchen staff, like, there' Because there's a couple of kitchen staff in the background who have not been paying attention. And one of them gets, like, their face, like, sort of held against the, the, the grill, or whatever it is, and you can see their skin melting off, and... Th- I mean, this stuff is glorious. I, I, I wanna point that out. There's another, like, couple where the, the cars broke down in the desert somewhere, and the woman has been watching, so she turns around and, like, kills her husband. There's... Yeah, the, the you know, the, the ladies in the bar, like, uh, kill the guy that was trying to hit on them earlier. Uh, by kicking a, a like a, a bottle of beer down his throat, It's just really brutal stuff. Um, and it's kind of random. The there's, uh, there's like a Korean police officer who's been watching while they're like sitting on watch, and he like turns and shoots his partner. So it's basically the the devil has turned everyone uh, that's been watching into like his mindless killers. They're just like evil. Like I mean, I don't want to say zombies, but uh, disciples of Satan, I guess. Uh, The big one, though, so this is already, like, nuts. This is already, like, what the hell is this movie doing? Because I want to make it clear, the movie up until when the, the burned guy gets up, there is no hints throughout the entire film. I don't really think that this is actually sort of Satan or apocalyptic, whereas the ending is like, no, this is the start of the apocalypse. This is, like, the entire civilization of the world is about to crumble because now Satan's hell has been unleashed in the world. Um, so it really comes out of nowhere. But the big one, though, the big one that really gets a kick out of uh, me and everyone who was watching with me on the live stream is early on. One of the people who are watching the stream is a kid. It's this, this, this—you know—kid who's maybe like eight or something. Who he's at a dinner table with his mom and dad, and his mom's kind of vapid. His dad is trying his best to kind of ask about school, and he's like, "Oh, what did you learn about in school school today, son?" And he's like, "Ah, uh, you know, uh." dinosaurs like, oh what dinosaurs he's like ah, oh, you know steroidactyls and Stegod- stegosaurus and pterodactyls is what i tried to say there and he's like oh that's good and then he's, he's 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 trying to be interested but then the phone rings and he's like sorry and you get the idea that this dad's always like busy with his work so he's been trying to like bond with his son but he's pulled away again seemingly like he always is and the kid ends up just watching on his tablet or phone or whatever it is uh he watches the stream so we cut back to his reactions again throughout the movie And, in the section when uh, Max has got the noose around his neck before he's actually dropped, the demon said that if he gets like a hundred percent on this like like bar, so you can see them all tapping the like button, so the kid's one of the people doing that, they're all trying to save his life. Uh, And I like those elements, I like whenever it brought in the audience in that way, I thought that was a fun mechanic. So, that's really neat. And I can't help but feel that this movie does have like like an even better version. Like, I can see almost, like, this cross with, like, Prince of Darkness, like, a serious version of this that could be amazing. It like could actually be legitimate, amazing. And the idea of having the audience be literal witnesses and the idea that there's a battle, not just for the people in the room, but a, but a battle for Earth itself and a battle for the masses all through the lens of a of a priest versus a devil or a Satan or, or, or just a demon in general, like... Does, like this could, this could be a, an exceptional concept. As it is, we get a really fun, wacky thing that was, has a lot of faults. Um, but anyway, so this kid. So when everyone else is, like, killing people using various things, uh, for one that I left out is there's, a, there's like, three guys in an Eastern Asian country working on... Uh, or, Mid- so not Eastern Asian, a Middle Eastern uh, country working on, like, a bike. And two of the guys are watching on TV... And the third one is like just working on the bike and not paying attention. He actually like the the other two like one of them holds his head to the wheel that's like spinning, like the tire, and the, the other guy revs it and just like you just see the spray of blood coming up. So again, fun death. But as this is all going on, the kid pulls out like a like a knife from a drawer. Um, I think it's like a letter opener or something like that. It's nothing super fancy. But he goes over to the couch where his mom's sleeping and he stabs her. It's okay. That's pretty dark. All right. But then there's another twist. There's a twist here where the kid like walks down another hallway and there's a couple of people there. It's kind of weird. It's like, wait, this, why are there people? I mean, th- th- this family always looked rich. It was like a big house. And there's a couple of people there and he gets led into this office. And then it becomes very clear that this kid is the son of the president. <laughs> and the kid walks in. He's got like a teddy bear, like sort of hiding the knife. And he drops the teddy bear as he walks into the Oval Office. And we just hear, like, screams and, like, what are you doing? And some gunshots and some stab, stabbing sounds. And then the kid, like, walks out and there's just, like, dead bodies. Like, again, it's kind of obscured. You don't get to see a lot of it. It's kind of just happening off-camera. But as he walks out, he's, the camera kind of just, you know, tilts up a lot or tilts down, I should say, and reveals the, uh, you know, the, the logo on the carpet the President of the United States. Um, so, that, this is why these things, where it doesn't really change anything about the ending, but it's a fun little twist. It's like, wait a minute, he just killed the president. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> so the movie goes nuts. The movie goes absolutely nuts at the end. Uh, the ending for the actual characters is surprisingly downbeat, though, because it cuts back to the, the studio, and Satan's gone. And Lane's getting medical help, and Drew has a sweet moment where he puts her engagement ring back on, and he's like, oh, yeah, we're going to have a life together. The show's cancelled, and Max is left on his own. One of the thing, but the ending of the movie, the final shot that we have of the movie, is Max checks his phone for the first time since everything was going on, and he's got like you know hundreds of thousands of new followers, but most importantly, he's got the blue check mark there's the very thing he was saying that he needed at the start of the movie, and he kind of gives this little smile, and the movie ends and it's not like a it's not like overly cheesy as a smile. It's kind of like a really tempered one where he kind of smiles and then stops smiling. But it also doesn't feel like this bittersweet thing where he's like he's like learned these, the error of his ways and that it wasn't worth it. It's kind of this weird thing where he still cares about it. <laughs> um, he's got the blue check mark. He's 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 made it. He's legit. I <laughs> it's kind of wild. Um, so that also made me laugh. So again, I wouldn't necessarily say the movie is good. But it's got a lot of energy, and it's constantly doing fun and interesting stuff. And every so often, it'll maybe not do that for a little bit, and you'll just start to get you know a little bored, or maybe a little bit more aware of the clichés and the tropes that it's doing, because some of the elements are very clichéd and tropey. but then it'll do another crazy thing. And it just kind of keeps bringing you back in a little bit like that. Uh, so, I mean, if I'm going to rate the movie... I, I mean, I'm probably going to go with the straight six... I, I think it's a 6 out of 10, and I think that's a fair score. I think it's a very enjoyable 6 out of 10. It kind of, like, is a little bit more than the sum of its parts. Uh, bizarrely. It does it does set up some character traits. um, But a lot of the stuff that it does do feels kind of It's weird, because I was saying earlier how I appreciated it actually set up enough things with the characters that none of the character stuff, as in how they treat each other, how they react to things later, uh, feels out of place. It all feels like it's, it's set up by who they are, and those those seeds are planted. However, some of the stuff that's revealed in the backstories about the murdering the, the nun or uh, the like, obviously, where the Satan popping up at the end, all of that stuff feels really abrupt and relatively out of nowhere. Now, the, the nun stuff is teased a bit more. There's kind of like a jump scare at the start kind of teasing it, and then there's A couple of small things that tease it as like things ramp up in the movie but it still feels like oddly disconnected with the rest of the movie for me which is a little bit strange um the movie looks solid enough though um i i don't think it's like super amazing looking but it looks like a movie one one of the things that really sticks out with a lot of these like direct streaming movies is that a lot of them end up feeling really bland looking and i think this isn't exceptional looking but it does look like a movie so points where points are due the main three cast members, I think, put in solid enough jobs that it's not, you know, a pain to watch them work through the material, even if it's not always giving them great stuff. But the big moments, the big deaths, the big twists, the the big crazy things that it ends up doing eventually, uh, some of the set pieces with the the, the the fans voting on things like that stuff tends to have a good bit of amusement behind it, and I think there's an argument to be made that it may not always be intentional. Like, I'm not so sure if I'm supposed to be laughing like an idiot at the end of the movie. The last five minutes, I thought was hilarious. And I don't know if that's intentional, but at the same time, it was, I wasn't laughing at the movie. I want to make that clear. I wasn't laughing against the movie like, it's so stupid, it doesn't know what it's doing. That's not how I felt. I felt more like I was laughing because this movie has the balls, like I said earlier, to do these things. But I don't necessarily know if the movie wanted me to be laughing. <laughs> <laughs> so much. But but I was. I was laughing a lot in the last chunk of the movie. um, And some of the deaths were pretty fun. So, it wasn't a bad watch. In 95 minutes, I think it's uh, an easy streaming watch. It's got more going for it than a lot of other streaming movies do. Um, I do think this endeavor with me reviewing Shudder Weeks is going to, you know, be, be a struggle some weeks. And I don't think this was one of them. I, I think I actually started off with one that was pretty decently entertaining, so... I'd say a solid 6 out of 10, which I would recommend as a fun 6 out of 10 viewing. Your mileage may vary, but it's worth mentioning that I think the live audience that I watch this with on stream, which I'm going to mostly do for these Shudder movies, I'm going to try and watch them with uh, some pe- some company online. Um, I think most people seem to have some fun with it, if not a lot of fun, so... Yeah, friends an hour. Maybe it's worth watching it with other people, though. Maybe not on your own. Uh, it's maybe a good good bit of advice for this one but there you go uh, there's probably some elements that i didn't talk about and whatever but you know i'd be here all day uh, so this has been uh, the cleansing hour uh, the first of my sholo sholo my sholo shudder reviews. so <laughs> maybe I should call it that uh, so yeah so shudder is going to keep coming uh, assuming anyone actually cares or likes this um, i thought it may be a nice little sort of little sister show to screams after midnight uh, so let me know what you thought of the movie let me tell you, know what you thought of the, the discussion, the review and the comments please do like and subscribe those are super important as I said earlier and also go to patreon.com slash Uh you can catch us on twitter at ScreamsMidnight for horror movie updates and, and whatnot. whatnot. Uh, you can catch myself on twitter at woobble89 um, but otherwise I think that's about me so thank you once again for watching and listening I always appreciate it, keep watching scary movies and I will see you next time.